to sing this together. It is a song of compassion. It is a, a chant to the great Bodhisattva Tara Kuan Yin Avalokiteshvara. She who hears the cries of the world. Because our, our topic tonight is, is so full of the pain of the world and the cries of people who are seeing their very bodies and autonomy being under threat and we are all gathering our resources to find our response. So I want to invoke compassion. May it be with us throughout this evening and far beyond. are very simple. They are just saying, I honor you on homage to uh, Kuan Yin, Tara, Avalokiteshvara. And um, Swaha is, um, 
sort of an expression of praise and of elation and almost like in, in another religion it might be hallelujah or something like that. So anyway, welcome to all the people who've come in, Nancy and Cynthia and Linda, Kimberly and Wendy. I'm so glad you made it. I hope hope to see your smiling faces if possible and if not, I understand. Some some nights and days are like that. So this is, a, this is a topic, this topic of harming in relation to abortion has been on my mind for quite a while. Oh, Deb, how's my sound? Is it better? I moved the microphone. Okay, good. Thumbs up is fine. Um, yeah, th this has been on my mind and I've been working on this quite a bit. And there's, there's so much, there's so many angles to come in. Um, the Zoom is not letting me turn. Oh, I hate, I'm sorry. I hate it when that happens. Um, some people can't turn their camera on. It must be a setting. It's saying the host has blocked the video. But I haven't. You haven't. Okay. Uh, um, see how that goes. Okay, I guess that did it. Yeah, there was something, you know, a lot of us are using this this one link now, so different teachers sign in and out, and somebody must have turned it off. I'm so sorry. So glad to see you. Okay, onward. So, um, so I'm going to, I want to talk about my journey and our journey, I think, in becoming more wise and discerning about the many complex issues surrounding reproductive rights for, for pregnant people, for women and trans women. And, but I just want to name kind of where we are in, in, a, in this moment, kind of what our situation is. We're in a time of enormous public discussion and public um, out, outcry and positions and big speech and, and blacks and whites, so to speak, binaries. This is the nature of public speech. It's not very nuanced. It's, it's not a place to work out subtle, complicated, emotional, visceral, um, complicated things. And yet, that's exactly what we're doing. And so it gets framed in these very binary ways. Um, where And language has a part in that where you're either pro-life or pro-abortion, let's say. And that's, that's a that's not a good position to be in. Those are not great choices, you know. I, I don't accept that those are the only two ways to see this, right? And I think a lot of us don't accept that pro-life, in fact, Dr. Willie, Willie Parker, who's a wonderful African-American um, OBGYN who's been traveling, was traveling to Mississippi every month to do abortions at the Jackson Women's Clinic because there was so few providers in the state, and a very strong advocate for, for um, women's rights. And he says, Pro-life people are not pro-life, they are pro-fetus. He said, I am pro-woman. So these are the kind of language things that, that we need to be wise about and pay attention to. Am, am I pro-abortion? Are you pro-abortion? What does that mean, right? <laughs> you know? So things to be explored and thought about. Um, and then the, the, uh, in public discourse, sides get polarized, polarized and people find themselves standing in positions and advocating for them because it's the only position that seems to be allowed for them. But it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel integrity. It doesn't feel right in the heart. For example, you know, one side has made it an absolute that the life of the unborn is, is primal, that the unborn is a human life and therefore abortion is murder. End of story, plain and simple. No mitigation, you know. And that and and also that there's a there's a spirit in that in that being from the start, and therefore it is a human life. Well, they've claimed that ground of the, of that language. And so folks who don't agree with their tactic and their prescription for this are forced into this secular realm of medical, where doctors, wonderful doctors with huge hearts, are saying, and you've heard them on the radio, this is a simple medical procedure. This is health care. Um, it might as well be an appendix. In fact, abortion is the most common surgical incident in, in this country anyway, except for 
appendicitis, appendix, take your appendix out is number one surgery, abortion is number two. But anyway, they're sort of pushed into this medical science corner. That's the corner that's been left to us. The spirituality is over on the other side. So all we've got is science and justice, law, rights. And that's very powerful, but it just, to me, is not enough. I, I've, again, I feel this, I refuse to be relegated to the realm of science, secular science, and justice, and, and laws, and so forth. So it's just, for, for, I think it's very complicated. If we search our hearts, it doesn't feel like that's enough, many of us, right? It doesn't reflect how our hearts have doubt, have ambivalence, have sorrow, have empathy, have um, a deep pain over any life being cut short in any stage of existence, and yet deep pain over what's happening to pregnant people who are being forced to be um, incubators and to deal with all the consequences of that. So wrestling with this, in, and especially in the last while since um, Texas, I think, it led the way, and this is a good four or five years ago, beginning to really home in on the, the clinics, and then many other states have followed, but I started really paying attention probably five years ago or so. And what I find, and especially since last December, which I'll talk more about in a minute, but I find that my, my true beliefs um, really have paradoxes in them. And I think that is the, the nature of, of life, is that it's full of paradoxes, and our hearts can actually hold several things at once. And um, I'm going to talk about how the Buddha saw all this in a minute, but just to kind of clear out this opening, the kind of things I wanted to just put out into the room for you to resonate with or not, or think, well, I don't really agree with that, but what do I think? So we're all kind of processing this together. Um, so maybe some of you wrestle with the paradoxes I do, that, for example, passionately believing in a woman's agency and autonomy, her right to her body and her choices, but also maybe believing that the fetus is a potential life and can't deny that, can't deny that without inf interference, it will very likely become a human being able to, um, to exist outside the womb. And maybe some of us even believe that whatever we know as spirit does enter the flesh very early, perhaps at conception. And what do we do with that? If that's what we know in our hearts or feel in our hearts, what do we do about that? And I don't mean to assume that, that we are in unity here. I'm just kind of putting out some range of things that could be in us or, or others. Um, and how do we wrestle with that? So in terms of harm, what I've come to is that um, hmm, that there's abortion is a situation where it's impossible not to do harm to someone, right? It's possible not to do harm to someone, or either doing harm to a potential life, or by by you know cutting off the possibility of its growth, or we're perhaps harming a woman's life and her children and her economic prospects, her educational prospects her safety at home if there's a domestic violence situation. This is, this is not, not easy stuff, but this is the stuff that the Buddha did, did deal with and did address. And one of the things that the Buddha taught, and I'm, I'm going to get to this, I, I was going to get to it later, but I feel like I'm jumping into it now, is that when we solidify around a belief in order to have clarity, like it's much easier to just be kind of a, a, an orthodoxy, to take on an orthodoxy. Abortion is murder, end of story. I know where I stand. I know what's right and wrong. I, I feel safe, right? Orthodoxies are trying, are, are supposed to make a person feel safe. And I, and I can solidify, we can solidify around other beliefs, you know. Um, so I, I mean, again, many women, public spokespeople do say, um, a fetus is not a life. And there's a solidification around that because if I even imagine that it might be a life, then what do I do about abortion, you know? So there's this looking for something simple and clear that we can hang on to. And the problem with that is that we live, and this is the Buddha's great teaching of impermanence, anicca, is that we live in a world of constant change and constant um, things ending, things beginning. And so something that is solid, that you try to make solid, like the Constitution, for example, 
the originalists who are making the Constitution a solid, fixed, unchangeable entity that the, the, the sands of time, the, the tides of time have not touched. This is contrary entirely to the Buddha's teaching of impermanence, of moving through change, of being comfortable with change, of letting go of fixed ideas. It's one of the main practices, letting go of fixed ideas. And when we solidify about something and cling to it and need it to be permanent, we are going to suffer. That is the birth of suffering, is not understanding the three, um, the three characteristics. No self, no permanent fixed self, everything is impermanent. And um, the third one, oh, suffering, the inevitability of pain, the inevitability of friction, of ugh, you know, why can't I put this in a tidy box? Why can't I fit these views together? Why can't everybody see it my way, right? <laughs> or just, yeah, whatever. So that's the suffering that comes with, with solidifying around a position. So I'm going to tell you in a minute about a, a journey I've been on. But I think I want to sing a song. Just, a, again, just a little bit of... Um, This comes from um, about five years ago when I was started to learn more about about um, what women in, um, were facing in Texas, and I discovered a group called Fund Texas Choice, and they um, were raising money to give women bus money or gas money to get not even out of state at that point, but just to another clinic, which might be 500 miles away, or maybe not 500, but Texas is pretty big and um, money for childcare if they need to leave a child behind, money for a hotel if they needed to stay overnight, that kind of thing. And it was just such a merciful, compassionate, um, you know, enterprise. It was started by a single mom who was a law student. And um, I don't know how she did, she had a baby. And there she was, just running this, this little startup, which has now become very big. She's moved on, but others have carried it. So I wrote this song inspired by their work and really trying to capture what I was learning about the circumstances that women face that make them make a choice that is so hard to make. topic I, I don't I'm gonna be kind of all over the place tonight I think bear with me so here we go this is called natural order trouble you don't waste time judging or giving big advice or saying how the heck did you get in this kind of a fix you say what do you need and how can I help that to me is natural so we'll see see what you think
I think my internet got a little shaky. Sorry about that. Did it come back or has it, was it really lousy the whole time? It was okay. It was mostly okay. Thank you. Good. I think too, when I sang that line, they got laws, we got natural order. I guess it was kind of what I was just talking about, the solidification of, of law into a, a thing that has very little nuance. And natural order is the, the flow. It's the natural flow of reality, of, of that we have all undoubtedly fallen into places in our lives that we didn't expect to fall into and flowed into a territory that we didn't know and didn't want to know. And there we were. I know for me at the age of, of 17, I think it was, yeah, at 17, I found myself pregnant in my, pregnant in my freshman year of college. And that thrust me into a world I never expected to be in. Um, left college, um, was pre-Roe. I was scared to even think about an abortion. Um, I gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. And um, I decided to let her go. And I've been thinking about, I heard an interview with uh, people running these pregnancy crisis clinics, which are, you know, cover-ups for, for, for trying to, you know, uh, persuade women not to have an abortion, and they sound so compassionate. And oh, we'll 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 give we offer a woman six months of support. You know, food and and health care, not health care, food, and I can't think what else, diapers. And it's like, oh, that's that's wonderful. And what happens after six months? You know, and also they they talk very very, and people feel very strongly about abortion. Why can't you just carry this child? And, um, and then release it and let a family give it a life. And that's a very persuasive argument, and I don't oppose it. I don't, I, 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 a lot of me is like, I know, I, I really feel that. But um, there's another uh, person in our sangha who couldn't be here tonight, but she's an adoptive mother, and I'm a birth mother who released her child. And we've had a really good talk about this and how the pain of adoption has its own flavor, its own reality. It is not a slam dunk. It's not happy, happy. Um, what I went through is, is not happy, happy. And, um, you know, it's unforgettable and changed my life. And, um, and that's what things do. That's what life does to us. It changes us over and over. And some adopted children, you know, really come, come up with some pretty severe attachment problems. And ADD is a, a lot higher rates of ADD and mental illness. And, 
not to, you know, generalize too much, but just to say there aren't any easy answers. And I think it takes a lot of Dharma practice to be able to live with no easy answers. Everybody wants to find a way to get out of this grip, the vice of this thing. And here we are. Here we are in the middle of it. So, um, in December, as things got worse and worse around the country, and I felt more and more, I was donating where I could, but you know, I don't, I don't have a lot, none of us probably do, and I felt, I felt that call within, I'm an activist, a lot of you know that, I mean, we're all activists in some way, we all want to respond to the world with a compassionate, a helpful action, and I've been out in the streets a lot, you know, I've sung marches, demos, you all know that, but I just felt like I want to get in there, I, this is, this is a crisis, you know, and I got an email, because I'm in the doula circuit, because I think you know I'm a doula, a birth and postpartum doula, so I get a lot of emails about doula stuff. And I saw that a, a group called the uh, Bay Area Doula Project was um, starting a, a, an abortion doula training, and I'd been really interested in that. And so I looked it up and was excited, and there was an application, and I um, downloaded it, but I was about to leave for a retreat, out in, I was going to go to a retreat with online with Tara Brock and Conda Mason and wonderful teachers. And so I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll fill this out when I get back. And then at some point during the retreat, I glanced at my email as, email as one does sometimes when doing a Zoom retreat. And I saw that the deadline was the next day. Oh, shoot, I'm going to have to do this right here in this retreat. So I took some time during the free time and I filled it out and very penetrating questions and I really poured out my heart about what this meant to me and why I wanted to do this and so forth. And um, I felt great about it and I pushed send and off it went. And I finished the you know, evening's stuff and I went to bed, went to sleep and I woke up at about one in the morning and I was literally shaking. I was in the darkest of dark places and what was coming, what was catching up to me was the underlying feelings beneath my righteous anger and my feminism and my, my fixed ideas about I am pro you know, women's rights, all that. Something was bubbling up and I thankfully had, you know, had practice to tell me you sit up and you deal with this, you let this come through and you learn from it. And I realized I was just scared to death of the thought that I would be in a clinic room holding a woman's hand while tissue and blood was being pulled out of her or whatever. And I was like, I've already lost one child. My, my baby actually died before I could, I could actually put her in, in, into an adoptive home. She died of SIDS. So, so, so maybe I'd had infertility, I'd have miscarriages. I was like, what am I thinking, you know? And, and this is just another amazing thing about being alive, isn't it? That we think we know ourselves and we think we know how we live, what we believe, and something comes along and we are just sideswiped, you know? Um, so I, I went through a lot with that. And I also, and part of my discernment, besides my own personal, this is just too much, you know? You, you, don't, why do you, you can't do this, was um, what about non-harming? Here I am on a Buddhist retreat, First precept, what about that? So I got a chance to talk to a teacher. I asked if I could talk to a teacher, and Conda Mason very kindly gave me an hour of her time. She's a wonderful African-American teacher from the Bay Area. And um, we talked about it, and I honestly don't remember much, except I, what I took away was, in Buddhism, the precepts are not rules. They are not the Ten Commandments. They are not laws. They are trainings. They are practice trainings that we aspire to and reach forward to and see what the challenges are in embodying that. We get to find out why non-harming is not simple, right? It's not, it's, so it's just a training. And then she told me that Larry Yang, who's one of the founders of the East Bay Meditation Society, had a really wonderful talk about, um, about harm. And I wonder if I can find it. I think it's, I think I printed it out here somewhere. Hold on a sec. It's a little out of order here, I think. Um, Larry. Oh, it's um, yeah. 
it says, this is his um, practice, uh, a practice uh, chant, I guess you could say. May I be loving, open, and aware in this moment. And if I cannot be loving, open, and aware in this moment, may I be kind. If I cannot be kind, may I be non-judgmental. If I cannot be non-judgmental, may I not cause harm. If I cannot cause harm, may I cause the least harm possible. That's so unabsolute and like, we're just doing our best here. You know, we are just doing our best. And Buddha, the Buddha seemed to have a lot of space for that, probably because he suffered so much and tried so hard to be pure with his, you know, years in the, in the forest, wearing nothing, eating nothing, you know, sleeping out under the open sky, trying to find purity, trying to find that absolute purity that he thought, or perhaps thought, that would bring happiness. And to find the middle way, what a gift, that we can be spiritual on a middle way. We don't have to be an absolute perfect anything. So um, part another part. So anyway, I talked to Conda and I felt better, but I still I had to go home and talk to some people about it. And um, and I took a step that was very helpful to me. So I want to pass it on to you, and because it's just a process sometimes for how I live into situations where I don't really know the outcome and I'm not sure. It's very obvious, and I, I'm sure many of you have figured this out for yourself. Is I thought, well, you know. You can take the training without ever doing any abortion work. But you can take the training because that training will show you very quickly if you want to do this or not. If you feel horrible after the first day, if you feel sick to your stomach, if you hate it, if you, you know what I mean, you'll know. Um, but for me, I have to sometimes live into something. My body has to go with me into something. I can't figure it all out in my head, you know, because those are just ideas. So I put my body into the room of the training, and I loved it. I loved it. I felt like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is me. I want to do this. But these, but as I know, you recognize this process where we sometimes have to go a very dark night of the soul to get to another truth, a, a more, a more whole truth. Like I was ready to do to help with abortions at the beginning. I went through the dark night. I was ready to do abortion work at the end, but I was more whole in that work. I wasn't going to get sabotaged in the moment when I was in a clinic suddenly falling on the floor crying and some poor woman wondering, what the heck, you know? So I love that process of just living into something a little bit at a time and seeing where we are. And when I, I say this partly, I want to say this to you because the Sangha as a whole is having some sessions to talk about this together. Um, Kate did a beautiful Sunday afternoon session, a chance for everyone to just share how they were doing with this SCOTUS decision, decision, horrible, you know, um, just violent, cruel uh, laws that are being passed, just mean, mean, mean stuff going on, to just really have a chance to let our hearts be held and, and shared. And then this last Sunday, I led another gathering that was more about how do, we, how do we move into action and what kinds of action are we comfortable with, are we drawn to, um, because there's so many levels, there's so many ways to respond. And we had a wonderful time. And we're going to have more of these sessions. We're going to have a follow-up action session. But also I'm talking to other, we are talking to other um, sanghas about how they're addressing this. Because I don't think there's a unified Buddhist response. I haven't heard a lot of talks about abortion in, in Buddhist rooms. Um, Jack Cornfield actually mentioned it and talked a bit about it at his Monday night talk. Thank you, Kimberly, for sharing that with me. And um, so, but all, nonetheless, I think there's a discernment maybe all of us are, are making about how we want to respond to this and noticing where we polarize where we find ourselves doing what Tara Brock calls bad, um, bad othering, making those guys the bad other, right? And um, maybe losing our sense of, of, of connection to our fellow humans who disagree with us so strongly. It's a lot. So anyway, so there's, there's chances as a Sangha to talk about how would we like to respond, maybe as a community or part of a community. Um, so anyway, you'll be hearing more about that if you're, if you're registered and get mailings from the Sangha. So um, the Buddha taught that non-harming was vitally important, but he also said there were times when one might have to kill. 
and he talked specifically about when one is being attacked by foreign troops and you need to protect your house, your family, your community, it is perfectly reasonable to raise, raise a hand against that violence and that to not resist and push back actually creates harm. So you're, again, just, you're in, a pot, in an impossible situation. If, if one doesn't defend one's family and community, everyone might be wiped out. That's harm. If you fight back and kill uh, other soldiers, that's harm. So there we are. There we are. So he let us just hold that reality, that there's no perfect way to do this. But then, as Larry said, it's may I be as unhateful as possible. You know, if I have to, to do violence to someone to protect myself or someone else, may I do it without hate in my heart. You know, this is where we reach for, what's the intention here? What is, what is a way that I don't have to violate my heart um, and my, my values? I mean, you know what, if I had to kill somebody, I would violate my heart. My heart would suffer terribly for that. But at least I, I didn't hate the person or um, then go about defending myself and justifying it and, and whatever. I can just feel the pain of it. You know, the practice can help us just feel the pain of this is tough. This is hard, what we're living with right now. So I had a couple of lovely encounters I just want to mention. Um, uh, that taught me about the flexibility of Buddhism. So there were two, two, two quick stories. One was a Buddhist teacher I love very much, Heather Sundberg, who um, many, some of you may know. And um, she and I uh, uh, taught the family program at Spirit Rock for many, many, many years together. We got very close. And my little boy, Matt, started coming when he was about six. And he didn't love it. He was a very hyperactive kid. And there was, it was a very kid family program. Um, pro kid kid friendly program, but you know any sitting was just a little too much sitting for him. So he had a hard time. Um, as he got older, he got a little more interested because the kids, you know, they got to be 10, 11, 12, and they cut, kind of were preteen, and it was starting to be kind of fun. And there was a room just for teens to hang out in, but they had to keep the door open and this and that, and they couldn't hang out there without a grown-up. So there was always a, a parent nearby, and all well and good. So one night, apparently, the teens snuck in there. He was probably 14, and they started playing Spin the Bottle. Isn't that cute? And, um, you know, and then they kind of, I don't know if they got caught or not, but they snuck out, and then Matt told me, because he was such an honest little kid. He was probably 11. He probably wasn't 14. And he said, Mom, I broke the, I broke the precept. I, I, I broke the rule. What should I do? You know, and we discerned that he, he, he and I felt that he should tell Heather. And he said, well, I get sent home. I don't want to tell her if I'm going to get sent home. And I said something about, you know, I think it's best to just tell the truth and find out. Just find out. Because you don't know if you're going to get sent home. But your heart will be happier if you tell the truth. And he agreed. So he told her, and she was so loving, you know, and just talked about these precepts are training. They're practices. They're not rules that if you break it, you're, you know, ten lashes. And... And it was just so beautiful, and I think it really in him built up something about ethics that I think has really helped him in his life. He's a very ethical guy, but he's not rigid. It's great. The other one was me. I had a run-in with one of my favorite um, monks, actually, in, at the abbot of uh, Abayagiri, Ajahn Pasano, who was our monk at Spirit Rock family program for many years, a wonderful man. I don't know if any of you have been to Abayagiri, but oh, it's such a treasure up near Ukiah. So, I was staying in this women's building, this was quite small, and they had, they didn't want you to have any food whatsoever there because of rats, because of rodents. They had a problem with rodents. Well, I gotta say, I'm a little attached to my tea. I think some of you know that. So I didn't eat anything there. We did all our eating down at, at the, the main you know, building, but I could not resist drinking my tea, which has you know tea leaves and goes in somewhere, and the rodents could maybe want some of those teas. You know? But I had my little tea, and I had my little fire, and I had my little Betsy ritual, and I was so happy. But I felt guilty as heck, you know? <laughs> and I thought, I gotta come clean. I can't do this, right, after a couple of days. So we he and I were talking and, you know, having a nice little talk and we, we you know have a very fond relationship. So I said, I have to come clean about something. I've I've broken one of the guidelines and I told him. And he smiled, this cute little smile, and he said, Oh, he said, Betsy, you know 
there's the monks have a, a some kind of, of what they call vow that they take and I can't I'm not going to get it right but it was something about time they have like 108 vows or something and one of them has to do with drinking tea during the day or something drinking tea afternoon and the monks have a little building up the hill a little just a little building with a little kitchen and whatnot and he says I know they're up there drinking tea <laughs> You know, and he said it without any trace of uptightness or, and I'm going to be talking to them. It's like he knows. And he also knows that they know that the, the precepts are a practice and that they, their karma will deal with their violation of the, their vow. You know, that there's a process for that. And that maybe they'll come talk to him. Maybe they'll just get tired of it and decide to stop. But it's just so beautiful to be in a in a spiritual practice where it's it's really just so unregulated and yet so disciplined and so clear so um what's the word i want to say dedicated dedicated not just going through the motions so anyway i am just my goodness obviously running out of time um i'll just tell you one more little story um it was very important to me which is I um, about two months ago, three months ago, I guess I got an email about an abortion rights rally up on Sproul Plaza at um, UC Berkeley. And I, I really wanted to go, so I went. And I wanted to see who was there. I wanted to see who was leading it. I just wanted to get the vibe. And um, it was great. It wasn't huge, but it was very strong and powerful. I was really glad to be there. Saw some folks I know. But there was quite a crowd of counter-protesters, um, ring, not ringing, but uh, horseshoeing the outside rim. Um, maybe 15, mostly, almost all quite young, I think students at Cal or re present or, or, or recent students. Um, and they had the usual signs, abortion is murder and, you know, all that. And I watched them and they weren't shouting much. They were, you know, just there. And I thought, you know, this is an opportunity I don't get every day of the week to talk to people who are against abortion and who I don't feel threatened by. They're younger than me, you know. <laughs> I'm an elder and I want to go talk to them. So I went over when the whole thing was kind of winding down and I said, hey, you know, hi, I, I've been watching you and I'm here in support of abortion rights and I would love to talk. Could, could we have a conversation? And they looked a little suspicious um, and then they kind of, you know, said, oh, okay, you know. And I, I wish I could tell you all about it because it was a remarkable exchange, but I would run out of time. Um, but let me see, what are the important things I want to say? I, they wanted to know if I believed that uh, a baby, that, that, that um, a fetus was a, a, a life. And I said, yes, I do believe a fetus is a life. And they said, so then abortion is murder. And I said, no, I don't believe that. And they, you know, and that was their, that was their talking point is abortion is murder, this is a life. And I invited them, and, and with great, um, a kind voice, a very kind voice, I actually felt quite touched by them because they were young, you know, and they were students. And um, I, I just knew they were Christian. You know, they'd gotten swept up in this evangelical fundamentalist Christian thing. And, and young people are so susceptible to that, you know, because when you're young in this crazy world, you, you, you want to hang on to something. Some, some young people really want an answer. They want that rigid one thing. And it may be neo-Nazism. That's one way you can go. It can, can be abortion is murder, human life, you know, blah, blah. But that's where they stood. I asked, I asked, invited them to try to think. I said, I don't want to take away your beliefs. I'm not going to change your mind. But could you open to a bigger picture and look at what the life of this woman may be like that is putting her in this position? And like the song was about, maybe he left you with two babies, no child support. Maybe you're 41 years old and your last kid just went off to college and you're pregnant. You know, and I, I, just, I mean, I didn't say all that to them, but you know, and I just listed some of the circumstances of, of women growing up in communities where they don't have good health care, they don't have good education, they don't have good food. Um, they, you know, if, if they lose their job, their two other children won't have anything to eat. You know, come on, think bigger, think wider. It was not possible. It was not possible. And yet I didn't feel like I was wasting my breath because I was sharpening my tools. It's like this is a great place to practice how to do this nonviolent communication. And as I, and I, 
I can't remember anything else I said, but it was good. I have to say, I, I will say I was very proud of myself. I felt like I did a really good job. And at one point I said, look, I care about you. I, I have love in my heart for you. I want you to live in a world where you can handle complicated things and still have faith and still have a heart, you know? And, um, and oh, I know, I know what I said. I said, look, if, I, if, you, if you believe and if I was to join you in believing that I have a right, because abortion is murder, to tell a woman she has to bear a child and become a mother, I have a moral responsibility to stand by that woman and to help her with food, with money, with housing, with health care. I mean, if I'm going to force her into a position she can't handle, I have the obligation, a moral obligation, to be there with her. Don't you? Don't you feel that way? So I kind of planted that idea of... You know, there's no easy way out of this. Um, that most of them were interested, even though some of them were kind of like mm, vehement. But there was one young woman, and it she she was a little scary because her eyes were blank. Her eyes were blank. You know what I mean? It was like it felt like the eyes of someone who could um, march march a, 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 a march a Jewish person into a a gas chamber, you know, like who had just lost, she had lost touch with something really important. And um, that was just something for me to take in and I really lived with that, you know, of there are people out there who, uh, and I think there are some in Congress and in, in positions of power who have really lost their way so terribly that, you know, we, we don't know. We don't know what their karma is. So, um, where does this leave me? It leaves me with a, a real sensitivity to any tendency I have to hold on to fixed ideas and beliefs. And the Buddha's teaching on attachments, he talked about the four attachments that get in the way of our awakening. The first one is attachment to sense objects and sensory pleasures. The second one is attachment to opinions and ideas. I mean, he just put it out there. If you get attached to pains and ideas, you're going to suffer and you're not going to be able to awaken and be free. The third one is attachment to rites and rituals. So even the way some religions have, have a very, you have to do it just this way and light the candle just this way or whatever those orthodoxies are, are not a path to spirituality. So I take, I, I am so grateful for these teachings because again and again to know that if we live with impermanence and we flow with the flow, we are not going to be able to tie much up into a tidy bow. We're just not going to be able to. So having to let go of perfection, let go of being right, let go of knowing, <laughs> you know, and just be in this space of don't know. And what does my heart know to do next? What is the next right action for this heart? It's really all we've got, you know. And we have Sangha. We have wise companions to check in with and to, to say, you know, I feel like I want to get arrested. I want to go to D.C. and get arrested, but I'm really as scared of this, that, you know, I need to talk about it. Or for me, I, I want to be an abortion doula, but I really need to consult with Sangha and, and wise people, right? And this is how we find our way forward in this world, you know? Without Sangha, I don't know how we would do it, really. It's too complicated, right? So... Um, and I would just say at the end that the guiding principle that we can never go wrong with is compassion. Compassion for ourselves. Compassion for all those incredible people working at those abortion clinics who I bet you've been hearing on NPR or Democracy Now! or whatever you listen to. Just unbelievable courage, unbelievable pain, hearing the pain in their voices as they have to tell women, I'm sorry, you came in for an abortion, you were supposed to have it. 11 o'clock and SCOTUS did, just did a ruling at 10 o'clock. You can't have the abortion. I mean, the pain in their voices, the suffering in their voices. So we're actually just gonna, gonna close with, um, with some metta and uh, sending loving kindness uh, because it's, it's just the right thing to do, you know, is to keep invoking that there is nothing in any human being that is not deserving of compassion. And the Buddha said that. He said the wonderful thing about you can travel the whole world 
whole world, and you will never find anyone more deserving of compassion than yourself. But the other part of that, I love that, but the other part of it is you can go the whole world and you will find everyone deserving of compassion. Right? I mean, think about that. That's a practice, isn't it? So this is this is where this is why we this is why I keep coming to to this sangha and to these teachings. So thank you for coming and thank you for listening so deeply and um, giving back your heart and your energy. It's it's been powerful for me. I'm soaked in sweat. It's 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 quite a, a subject to to be <laughs> presenting on, and, and I'm I'm grateful for your your warmth and um, receptivity. So, with hand, palms together, we'll offer the merit and we'll send metta. First of all, we want to offer our compassion, our loving kindness, and all the energies that our practice develops in us. The, the, the energy of courage, the energy of clarity, the energy of clear seeing and wise understanding. We offer these energies to those who have been working or are working in abortion clinics and are sometimes afraid for their lives. We offer it to the people who are seeking abortions, who are frightened, who are desperate, who are seeking support. We offer our compassion and our hearts to the doctors who are struggling to provide good health care under laws that are making it very, very difficult. We offer our metta and our loving kindness to all those who are trying to create spaces that are safe for all of us and who are trying to change laws and change administrations, all the wise efforts. With open hearts, we offer ourselves to a world that suffers and longs for freedom. May we all be content May we all be at peace. May we all, and may all beings be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.